All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started this evening. Uh, before we get into our lesson, and we're going to change it up, I know I had talked about doing James, but um, there was uh, something that I wanted to, to cover uh, because I've actually been getting a, a couple of questions about it. So I thought, uh, you know, uh, it's good to study it out and find out uh, what uh, what exactly it is and uh, and kind of look at it from Scripture. So I um, want to make sure that uh, we do that. So the... The subject tonight is um, kind of like when we were doing some series on what we referred to as dangerous doctrines, and uh, we identified some some doctrines that are out there that are being taught, looked at what Scripture said, and then saw that that doctrine was against the Word of God and inherently dangerous because it could lead to something else. And we've talked about it in the forms of uh, Calvinism or Reformed theology. We've talked about a little, th- a few things regarding Islam and, uh, you know, other uh, beliefs that are out there. And there was one that came up that is somewhat related to some of the things that we spoke about, but it is unique enough and is growing in popularity again uh, that it, uh, it, it needs to be mentioned. It needs to be talked about. And it's called the Sacred Names Movement. Uh, I don't know if you've heard anybody refer to, uh, this, um, but typically you will see people will refer to God as Yahweh and they will refer to Jesus as Yeshua. Uh, and there's a whole concept behind it and where it came from is rather, I don't want to say deceptive, but when they begin talking about it, they don't, they're not necessarily, uh, uh, forth with all the information. They're not bringing it forth. So we're going to take a look a little bit about that tonight. And I want us to turn to a couple of passages. And the first passage we'll turn to will be Romans chapter 10. Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. And this is why it becomes critical. This is why uh, it, it, it is an issue. And in Romans chapter 10, we understand that there are key verses that are regarding salvation. If, you're tr- if somebody comes to you and says, you know, sir, what must I do to be saved? Like the Philippian jailer, you can take them over there to Acts 16 and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You can also point out here in this chapter in Romans chapter 10, uh, what it says about that. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, it says, But what saith it? The word is nigh, uh, is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is, the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Pretty simple. I mean, simple salvation plan. Uh, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to get clean before. You don't have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, pay a bunch of money for it. You don't have to do a bunch of sacrifices. You don't have to do any of that. Jesus took care of it all. He handled it on the cross and with his resurrection. And it just simply says it's belief. It's, it's, it's calling out in verse 10. It says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But the scripture saith, 
whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. And I love that verse because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your social status. Everyone needs Jesus. I mean, it's just that simple. Um, and, you know, sometimes people forget that. Sometimes people don't understand that. Uh, and it's sad, but it makes it pretty clear here. But verse 13 is a very powerful verse. And it says, for whosoever call, uh, shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Again, he's making it, and, and Paul's talking about exactly how simple this really is. This is not, you know, a complex thing. You know, I, I've heard messages preached about the thief on the cross, and and uh, this one guy, he was kind of, uh, uh, if you will, uh, joking about it, and uh, it, but in, in the right kind of way, he he said the thief at the cross when he when when he when he when he arrived in, in heaven, the 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 angel that was there just kind of like, who are you? Why are you here? And and and, and he's like, well, I think I'm supposed to be here. And, and the, the guy doesn't, you know, the angel doesn't understand, calls the supervisor over, supervisor comes over and he's like, okay, so let's get this straight. Do, do, do you understand the doctrine of justification? Do, do, do you understand, uh, that, that, you know, anything about what baptism is? Do, do, do you understand all, you know, he starts listing all these doctrines and this, the thief that was on the cross is sitting there going, no, 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 no. And, he said, by what justification are you here at our gate? And the thief said, the man on the middle cross said I could come. It's just that simple. And, 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 and praise God for that. I mean, that's one of the, the simplest things that we can do. But let's leave it to man to take something that is so simple and just completely make it so complex People can't understand it. So this sacred names movement is is related to another movement called the Hebrew Roots Movement. And the Hebrew Roots Movement is a group that says we still have to keep the elements of the law. Not all the sacrifices, but we have to keep all the feasts and we have to keep all the dietary restrictions. Now there is a group that is out there that believes that in order to be saved and keep your salvation. You must keep those dietary restrictions as well as the Sabbath day. They're often referred to as seventh day, specifically seventh day Adventists or often referred to sometimes as church of God. So they've got a couple of different names by which they operate, but they believe specifically that if you are not keeping Sabbath, you cannot have salvation. That's their whole concept. And when they say Sabbath, they're talking about believing that the Saturday, starting at Friday at 6 o'clock, 
and going to Saturday, six o'clock is the Sabbath and you can't do any work. You can't do anything. You're absolutely, you know, confined to your home. Nothing goes on. It's just, that's the way it has to be. And in order to be saved and keep your salvation, you must observe that ordinance. Now, we're going to look at a couple of verses and find that that's not the case. Specifically, let's go over, uh, to, since we're here um, uh, in this chapter, in Romans chapter 10, take a look at verse 4. Here he is, he's talking about Israel, and he says in verse 1 that his heart's desire is that Israel would be saved. He talks about their zeal, but it was not according to the righteousness of God, it was their own righteousness. But in verse 4 he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So what happens? The law ended. Here, I mean, you take a look at the Bible and it makes it very clear that there is a new testament. It's not the old one, but it's the new one. Why? Because the, 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 the final sacrifice has been paid. He's the end of it. He fulfilled it. Turn to another, um, turn over to the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter two, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter two, let's back up here a little bit into verse 12. It says that at the time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's talking to Gentiles and saying, uh, you were estranged from God. You, you, you had no relationship with him. And it says here, but now in Christ Jesus, who ye sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. There is his sacrifice. That's what brings us near to God. Nothing else will. You can try to work your way all day long, try to be the best person all day long, but the fact is you still have to address the sin issue. And I don't care what sin you're talking about. The sin has to be dealt with. The sin must be addressed. The sin must be forgiven to have that relationship. And that's what the whole purpose of the shed blood of Christ is about. It says in verse 14, for he is our peace who hath made both one, talking about Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile, if you will, has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. There was a big issue between the Jew and the Gentile. The, 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 the Jew did not have dealings with the Gentiles. We find a little bit of that going on over there with the Samaritan woman. Jesus starts talking to her and she's like, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a, I'm a Samaritan. You're supposed to hate me. Why aren't you doing that? Well, praise God for the love of the Lord. That's all I'm going to say. I mean, and, and that's an amazing testimony, which you see there in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman. And the testimony she had, the testimony Christ had, and, and what happened to that town. Something totally different. And, and I guarantee you that the, the, all the disciples that were there were sitting there going, What happened? That this this wait a second. This doesn't match. But again, it's it's a wonderful thing to see that the Lord 
loved that woman to demonstrate his love for her in such a way. I mean, it's just amazing that he would just sit at the well and wait for her while he's thirsty. You know, he never got that drink. <laughs> she, she, she left the water pots and took off. He had to wait for the disciples to come with meat. Still no drink, just meat. <laughs> but you look at that and you think about, you know, how, how the Lord works that way. And it's amazing to see that he would break down that wall, break down those differences. Each one of us here has got a lot of differences. But I'll tell you, there's one thing that brings us all together, and that's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else is going to bring a group of a ragtag group of us all together like this. So, you know, continuing on here into verse 15, it says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in, in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. They might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain enmity thereby. But focusing on what he says on verse 15, what does he say here? Having abolished in his, uh, in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments. He took care of it. Praise God we don't have to do that anymore. Praise God we don't necessarily have to have that evening sacrifice and that, uh, that morning sacrifice. We don't have to have the, the heave offering and the wave offering. I mean, you go over there into in, in to Exodus and you start reading about those and then you get into Leviticus and you start reading more about those things and about the fat and the call and the kidneys and the liver and, 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 and you got to take that out of the camp and put that over there. I mean, it's just like there's all this, you know, strict order about what God wanted it or the way that God wanted it. Now God says, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I took care of the law. Remember over there when, 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 uh, uh, there was, uh, the issue of, uh, the Gentiles getting the gospel and Paul's there and Peter's there. And they're, they're trying to figure out what they need to do and how they're going to do it. And, and, and the Jews are still there and they're still keep, keeping uh, some of those laws. They're still doing the feasts. They're still doing, uh, you know, uh, some of the ordinances, circumcision, things of that nature. And, uh, they, they, you know, Peter's like, wait, let's just get this clear. We cannot expect the Gentiles to keep the law. He said, because we couldn't even keep it. <laughs> the Jews. <laughs> I love that passage. He, he just gets right to the point. Peter gets right to the point. You know, why would we have this expectation on them when we couldn't even do it ourselves? So they're not familiar with that, but they've trusted Christ as their Savior. That's good enough. That's good enough. But again, he mentions this. Let's go over to the next, or the, the book previous in the book of Galatians. And Galatians chapter 3 <clears throat> Galatians chapter 3, and Galatians is all about people trying to be brought back again under the law. And it, it's a good book, and as well as a, you pair that up with the book of Hebrews, and those are both good books to really, if you will, deal with the issue of somebody that's trying to bring you back under the law. Yes. Trying to bring you back under keeping a Sabbath day, keeping a feast, keeping a dietary restriction, no more bacon-wrapped shrimp, none of that. Okay? 
So it, 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 this deals with the, the, that, if you will, false teaching. But in Galatians chapter 3, and to just kind of keep it simple here, in verse 23, it says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up uh, under the faith which should be, uh, should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us under Christ, that we might be justified by faith. There is still a purpose behind the law. It's still a schoolmaster. Still kind of shows you some things that are right and that are wrong. Still has some application to us today. And it says, but after that, the fa- that faith is come, we are no longer under a school master. He's saying, we're, we're, we're not bound by that anymore. We're not bound, uh, to, to, to keep those laws for any purpose of salvation. Because again, you have to remember the Jew was not looking forward to the cross. They were not looking, uh, um, at, at the death of their Messiah. Because when the, he shows up, they're expecting what? The kingdom. That's all they're expecting. And then all of a sudden, everything just kind of seems to go off the rails for them. But it was exactly the plan that God had ordained before the world began, is what he says. But here we are looking at all of this, and we realize that this is connected to that group that says you must keep the law, while here in Scripture we see it's not what we are to keep or do for our salvation or to keep our salvation. And the Hebrew Roots movement is associated with that doctrine, and in turn, so is this Sacred Names movement. Because they are also, it kind of starts out small about the names, and then it leads into, well, are you keeping the Feast of the Tabernacles? Oh, you're not doing that? Well, you need to do that. Oh, you're you're still meeting on Sunday? You should be meeting on Saturday if you go or do anything. I mean, there's all these things that they begin to do, and it's kind of a lead into it. But the idea and the concept is, is that, that, well, what it teaches is that, only the word Yahweh must be used for the word God. There, there, there are Bibles that actually go through and change all of it to Yahweh. And I'm like, well, that's not quite accurate, but okay. That's a little bizarre. But what it is, is, is again, it's another group trying to rewrite scripture according to their doctrine. You, you find that frequently. So if you were to talk to somebody that was in a group called Jehovah's Witness, you would find that they have rewritten the Bible to fit their doctrines. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. So we find that this group is associated with some of that mentality. And if you're going to talk about Jesus Christ, you have to use Yeshua. But then it really depends on whether you're using Yeshua or Yahshua. And then there's some other ones where it's Yahushua. And you're like, which one do I use? Because it all boils down to this. They believe that when you start talking about whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord, you have to use that name. Otherwise, you're not saved. You do not have salvation. That's false. That's wrong. 
It doesn't say to say Yahweh or Yeshua or anything of that nature. It just says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And people will say, well, we still need to start going back to, you know, the, the ancient Hebrew. Nobody speaks ancient Hebrew anymore. Nobody speaks Koine Greek and nobody speaks Aramaic except for theologians and Bible students. We don't speak those. And even the cultures that have those don't speak those, those anymore. Koine Greek doesn't equate to modern day Greek and ancient Hebrew is, doesn't equate to modern day Hebrew. And nobody speaks Aramaic. So we begin to realize that there's a problem here. So, so let's see where it kind of started from and where they take a verse out of context. Go over to Proverbs. I want us to go to Proverbs. And in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30 in verse 4. Proverbs 30 verse 4 says, Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Well, that's Jesus Christ. Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Well, that's Jesus Christ. Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Well, again, that's Jesus Christ. Who hath established all the ends of the earth? By him all things were created. That's Jesus Christ. What is his name and what is his son's name if thou canst tell? And this is where they go and they say, oh, this verse is all about Jesus Christ talking about who he is and even showing, you know, part of the Trinity in this as well. And they say, well, based on that verse, you must know exactly what the name is of God. And if you don't get it right, you don't get any blessings. You don't get salvation. They twist it. That's not what this is talking about. This is prophetic in, 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 in passage. I mean, there's, there's a lot of it. I mean, even if you go to verse 5 where it says it talks about every word of God is pure, and he starts talking about the word of God. Well, who is the word of God? I mean, we, we begin to understand the concept of what is going on here when we look at the entire context. But if we were to just pull this verse way out of context and pull that phrase, specifically that phrase, out of context, we can try to make it say whatever it may mean. Saying that if you're going to call upon the Lord for salvation, you better use the name Yeshua. And... That's not the case because we don't speak that language. Now, look, here's the issue. God knew this many, 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 many centuries beforehand. Go back over to Genesis 10. Excuse me, Genesis 11. What happens in Genesis 11? Without looking at the headings, without who who knows what happens in Genesis eleven? Anybody? Tower of Babel. We've got the Tower of Babel. They 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 come together in verse four. It says, "Then they said, let us go build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth." Uh, it's all about pride. It's all about humanism. 
is basically what we begin to look at. And we see that the Lord comes down in verse 5, sees what's going on, and he says in verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. What happened? Other languages developed instantaneously. Could you imagine one minute you're thinking, and I assume they're, they're speaking Hebrew at this point. I would assume that would be the language that Adam and Eve spoke, but I don't know. That's just an opinion in my case. But let's just imagine, here you are speaking ancient Hebrew, and then all of a sudden, as you're building this, this tower, your thoughts are in French. Parlez-vous français? And people are like, what? <laughs> you say something? Mike, can you imagine this? You're on a job site and you start talking to somebody and they're speaking a foreign language? That ever happened to you? <laughs> Do you have Tower of Babel flashbacks? <laughs> now you're going to. But can you imagine that? All of a sudden here you are and they're speaking a language that you have no idea. You're telling them to bring some mortar and brick. And, and, and the hod carrier is looking at the guy like, what are you saying? Why are you babbling on in gibberish? And the whole group is like that. And finally, somebody understands somebody what somebody else is saying, and they kind of group a little bit together. And here are the French guys, and here are the Spanish guys, and here are the Germanic guys. And, and, and I understand that those languages have developed from other languages and so on and so forth. And there are the core base languages, you know, the proto-India and all that. I get that. Okay. But I'm just using this as an example that, that they, they, they split apart. Now, when God did this, do you think he knew what was going to happen several years later when he begins to produce his Bible in the English language and he has it say the word Jesus or Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ? Do, do, do you think that he was surprised that like, oh, oh, oh no, what have I done? No, that's not God. God knew this. God knew that those languages would be extinct. That they would go away. Again, nobody speaks Latin anymore, except for people that use Latin like legal and doctors and scientists and stuff like that. But nobody speaks it as a language anymore. People learn it, and it's good to learn. Why is it good to learn? Because it forms the root of a lot of other languages. It unlocks... You learn Latin, you, you, you begin to learn Spanish, you learn Italian, you can learn French, you can understand English a lot better. Um, it just really just kind of opens things up. So if you have a chance to learn Latin, it's a good thing to do. Okay? Uh, you, you're, you're force-fed Latin in legal. Let's just put it that way. And you're just, after a while, you're just sitting there going, what's the Latin word for that? What's the Latin word for, I need a body? <laughs> You know, there's things of that nature, and, 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 and you, you begin to understand that unlocks, but nobody speaks it as a common communication language anymore. And you know what? Here's what God understands. 
God understood that when he did this, this was going to create some communication problems. I was just having a conversation today with my brother, and one of the things that we wound up talking about was something about communication, and he made the comment, and I agree, and the whole group of psychologists also agree, we are over-communicated in this day and age. Text message, Facebook posts, uh, phone calls, uh, emails. I mean, it's just, it, it's just, we just start getting so much volume of communication that the human was not meant to take all at once. And it creates problems. It creates anxiety. It creates fears. Creates depressive thoughts. All of these things, because again, we're not using what God gave us appropriately. It's a good time, you know, there are good times to just not answer your texts. You're like, oh, yes. There are good times to not answer the phone. There are good times to not Look at what you have in your email account. Obviously, if you have to work, you have to work, okay? And you gotta do some of those things. But again, people will do that and then they'll come home and they'll do the whole same activity again and they wind up causing some damage to themselves. But I kind of get off point here when we start realizing that, that God understood that, that, that these languages, there's gonna be communication issues, there's gonna be communication problems. He knew that people were going to speak different languages. There are different words for God in every language. There are different words for Jesus in different languages. You you know, have you ever met the guy named Jesus? We begin to realize, okay, there's, they, they use those names very differently. Pronounced differently. Different characters, different letters, all sorts of different things. So all of a sudden, somebody has to begin to realize that they have to speak and call out to, to the, to the Lord for salvation, but they must use a certain word for it. And there's a problem with that. It it becomes to a point where in the sacred name movement, if you use any other name, you are basically blaspheming God. And that's that's a problem. You know, in in addition to this, um, they, they teach that if you're going to know the name Yeshua, you have to obey the Old Testament law just by the nature of his name. By the way, Yeshua... If you want the English version, the Anglican version of it, it's Joshua. And that name Joshua, you know, winds up translating into the Greek and so on and so forth later on into Jesus. This is why they begin to try to use that name. This is why they're trying to get that. Uh, a name out there, and what it does is it puts you under bondage of making sure that you use that correct name, and it, it, and if you don't, again, 
you're going to you know be blaspheming but then you would go back to well then you must keep these kosher laws you must keep uh these ordinances you must keep these sacrifices you must keep these feasts you must be you know a seventh day sabbatarian is as they call them uh all these jewish festivals all this stuff has to be done otherwise that person is not going to be saved and that's not what scripture said that's not what we find in scripture um t- turn over to um let's turn over to the book of uh, hebrews hebrews chapter 8 and and what we find with this is the, in these requirements is if you will this lording over somebody else's salvation and that's a dangerous that's a dangerous place to be where you're in control of somebody else's salvation praise god nobody lords over our salvation we don't we don't have another man to sit here and tell us oh well you didn't do it right therefore you're not saved Oh, you, 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 you didn't say the right words. You didn't understand the right doctrines. Well, that creates somebody else that, if you will, another man that comes in and says, you must do these things in order to have this eternal life. And I guarantee you, you take a look at every false religion, there's some other man that's there that is trying to tell you what to do. And the great thing about salvation through Jesus Christ is it's not another man telling anybody what to do. It's right here in the Word of God. It's what he He promised to preserve in Psalms chapter 12. It's what he said over there in Proverbs chapter 30 was pure. And, and he says, I, I, I'm going to put that together so mankind clearly understands how they can have salvation through Jesus Christ. He puts it all together, puts it there, and then what does man do? Man comes along, disassembles it, and tries to create something else. Creates a Frankenstein. Out of, uh, out of, if you will, Bible verses. The Frankenstein doctrines. Somebody should write a book called that. <laughs> the Frankenstein doctrines, where they just piece things together and you look at it and go, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> but this is, this is again what we, what we find here. And we find that, that as, as, as we look at these, these things here, that are, are, are shown in um, the book of Hebrews, where he, again, he's writing to Jewish individuals, and he's trying to show how Christ is so much better than the law. And he gets down in here in, in this, in verse 3, he says, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices where it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if it were, if he were here on earth, he would not be a priest, seeing that there are uh, priests that offer gifts according to law, who uh, serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. Now, what is he saying here? All those things that were found that Moses wrote down, 
in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, those three books, the things that Moses had written down were a shadow. Now, is the shadow the real thing? Everybody freaks out. They want to know where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? And as I say all the time, Indiana Jones has got it. So, <clears throat> but but the fact is, is everybody's like, whoa, whoa, we need the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. You realize that the real Ark of the Covenant is not and has never been here on earth? You know where the mercy seat really is? Right in front of the throne of God. The altar? Go over there to the book of Isaiah, and when you find Isaiah saying, here am I, send me, what happens beforehand? He, he realizes and says, you know, I'm a man of perverse lips. And what does the angel do? He takes a, 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 a coal off with the tongs off the what? The altar. But again, what he's seeing is not on earth, but is in heaven. There's an altar in heaven. All those things that he, that, that, that God told Moses to create were facsimiles, copies of what was in heaven, including the things of the law. Everything that was about the sacrifices pointed to Jesus Christ, the real thing. All the garments that, that, uh, Aaron had to wear, all of the, the details about it. What did they all do? They all pointed to Jesus Christ. Right down to the bells and the pomegranates and the blue fringes and everything. The stones, all of it pointed to Jesus Christ. And as he says here, they were a shadow of heavenly things. They were an example. But they weren't the real thing. They weren't the real thing. So what we find here is we find that, that, that God establishes What the law was about, the law was meant to be fulfilled, and it was fulfilled completely in Jesus Christ so that the law would end and be abolished, as we saw, so that it was no longer being served by man. And what do we find here? We find people wanting to go back to that. They complain it was too hard to begin with to keep the law. We want something simpler God gives it and makes it very simple, and they're like, oh, no, that's that's too simple. We want to go back to this. And I'll tell you, through every dispensation, you see one thing. You see God showing man that he can't do it. One commandment and a tree in the garden. The age of innocence. Did they accomplish that? Nope. He gave them a conscience that would tell them the difference between right and wrong. That ended spectacularly in Genesis chapter 6. And it ended with a lot of water. (laughs) I mean, we can go through every single part of it and we can see how that man just is incapable of doing the things. And how that at every corner, man wants to elevate himself above God in that Luciferian mentality. And the same thing is true here. 
And what it is about is it's about somebody coming along and saying to another person, well, I'm going to dictate to you how you have to be saved. I'm going to dictate to you what the standards are. And again, they can't even understand that. They can't even understand it because again, you know, you know, let's just take a look here, wrote down some of the names and it says, well, Yahweh and Yahshua, you know, those are the most common ones. Some of these people are actually trying to say, well, it's not Yahweh, it's Yava or it's Yahweh or it's Yowa. I'm sitting there going, what? Which one is it? If it's a sacred name movement and your whole your whole salvation is based upon it, don't you think you want to get that right? So so what do you do? You, you, you say all of them all at once? Hoping to get it right? I mean, and then when it comes to, to, to Jesus, it's either Yeshua or Yahushua or, you know, some derivative thereof. And, and it's like, no, that, that's... And here's mankind coming along and taking what God has given and corrupting it. Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And we see this mentality. This has been a mentality from, well, from the beginning. Because when you begin to realize what, uh, what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 1... Not only does it apply to, if you will, the nation of Israel and what they did, but it applies to all of mankind and what they've done. And here it says, you know, uh, um, in, in Romans chapter 1, in verse 23, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts and creeping things. Who changed in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And, and, and if you will, that's where you find the object of humanism. And as I've said, with every false religion, you're going to find the core of humanism. You're going to find it. Because it's all about the elevation of man. In order to get to heaven, you must do all of these works and you must be a good person. Well, it's all about you then. And it elevates you to that status. Well, in order to do this, you've got to go through all of these tenants. You have to keep these five tenants. And if you don't keep those five tenants, then you'll never get into paradise. But it's up to you to keep them. Well, who is the elevation about? Self. I tell you, you point that out to a Muslim and they get a little irritated with you. You point that out to anybody that's in a false religion and they may get irritated with you. But when you begin to show them that what they're doing is not pointing to God, but is pointing to man. And the same thing with this sacred names movement. That's why we don't use the word Yahweh. That's why we don't use the word Yeshua. We don't speak those languages. And we have to believe that God 
preserves his word in such a way that it would be simple to understand and know that if I call upon the name of the Lord, I am saved. That's simple. Believe in the heart, confess with the mouth. I mean, he makes it so simple for us. And again, when we start looking at this, we find that this group, the Sacred Names group, can't even agree amongst themselves. By the way, anybody got a good guess when the Sacred Names movement started? Just shoot out a, a decade. Ooh. That's what I would have thought. 1930. 1930s. This has been around for a long time. And I'll tell you, sometimes those old, if you will, dangerous doctrines, somebody drags them out of a drawer... Brushes it off, gives it a little new spot and glamour, advertises it on Facebook, puts it out there, and people just like, oh, look at this. It's new. No, it's not. (laughs) It's been around for a long time. It's been around for a long time. It's been around for so long that they are just as divided as Baptists are. You find me one Baptist that agrees on every single doctrine and <laughs> it'll be like, good grief. Everybody's got, I mean, again, it's, it's like the church at Corinth. Everybody's got their own doctrine. Everybody's got their own song. Everybody's got their own favorite hero of the faith. You know, things like that. And it's like, oh, no, it's the Bible. If it doesn't match the Bible, it's not about me matching another man's doctrine. It's about, am I matching what the Bible says? We got like 150 different versions of Baptists. By the way, there's 150 different versions of Islam too, in case you didn't want, you wanted to know that. There's not as many of the sacred names movement because it's a little lesser known, but you've got a couple. And, and just to show you, it's almost as bad as the first Baptist church of such and such. Because eventually there will be a split and there will be the second Baptist church of such and such. I remember there was a first Baptist church of Boise, Idaho. We didn't go to the first Baptist church. We went to second Baptist church, which is now gone and changed to something else. And when I saw what it was and I looked at a couple of the things, I'm like, that's nothing like what I saw when I was there. Totally different. But but here's what they've got. They've got the assemblies of Yahweh. And then there's the assembly of Yahweh. Subtle difference. There's the assemblies and then there's the assembly. Okay? They've got the house of Yahweh. And then they have Yahweh's restoration ministry. That right there would give you a clue. What are they trying to restore? Israel. They're trying to restore Israel. And I tell you, when you when you take a book, take the book of Acts, 
You have to be careful with the book of Acts because Acts is a transition book. If you don't understand what's going on in the book of Acts, your doctrine is going to be like way out there. Because look at the first question that they ask over in Acts chapter 1. Here they are. Jesus Christ is there. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Jesus Christ starts talking to them. He starts in verse 4, uh, or in verse 4 is where we'll start, and he says, uh, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Told them to stay there. He says, But wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. What is he talking about? Pentecost. And you know what? There's a lot of groups that are out there that are trying to bring Pentecost back. Pentecost was a one-time deal. And everybody's like, oh, but it was such a great revival. It's not the greatest revival that ever was in Scripture. The greatest revival that ever was in Scripture was from a bitter old preacher. Nineveh, 120,000 people. Man, praise God for that. Jonah didn't. (laughs) Jonah got mad. Jonah got mad that people repented. Jonah got mad that God had mercy. Wow. Talk about being bitter. In verse six, it says, when they heard, uh, when they were therefore were come together, they asked him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And I like what Jesus says in verse seven. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath, but put in his own power. You know what that translates to, and if you want to put it this way, none of your business. It's not for you. Not everything's for you. We get this mentality that it's all about us and it's all for us. And, 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 and it's about the restoration of Israel. And, 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 and this doctrine takes this and says, well, we need to restore the kingdom. Well, I'll tell you this, the Pharisees were all about restoring the kingdom. They were all about having a king. They were all about having a Messiah come to save them from the Roman Empire, not to save them from their sins. They went about, as he says in Romans chapter 10, to establish their own righteousness, being ignorant of God's righteousness, saying that their righteousness was as good as God's, not knowing that God's was much, 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 much greater. And the end result is, is you wind up with another kingdom-building empire. And you will find this. Roman Catholic Church, what are they all about? Building a kingdom here on earth. Jews today, what are they all about? Building a kingdom here on earth. You find individuals in this, what's called seven mountains, where in order for uh, Jesus Christ to come back, we have to have God in government. We have to have God in the schools. We have to have God in arts and entertainment. I'm like... (laughs) 
I don't believe in luck, but I'll say good luck with that one. Um, you know, you have to have uh, uh, God return into the family and, and, and all of that. They've got seven mountains there or seven hilltops that they, they, that must be conquered by man in order for Christ to come back. And it's deceptive because a lot of these people claim to be evangelical Christians and many of them happen to also be in our government claiming to be Christians. This is why it's always careful or always wise. Research your candidates. They claim to be Christian. Find out what they really believe. Because some of them are all about building an empire here on earth. Themselves. For God, but without his help. And that's never the way God intended it. Who's going to establish the kingdom? Jesus Christ. How is he going to establish it? He's going to come back on a white horse. No one's going to stand in his way. And those that do will understand the power of the word of God as the sword comes out of his mouth, as described in Revelation. That's how the kingdom is set up. That's how the kingdom will come. Not not through man's activities. Not through man's efforts. But only by Jesus Christ. So we have to be careful. So when somebody starts talking about this movement, understand that it has a hidden agenda. Understand that it's all about man creating that tower all over again. And while people may say, well, no, it's just, it's just about names, it's not. It's meant to ensnare and trap and slow the growth of a Christian. It's a dangerous, dangerous doctrine, and you have to be careful of it. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for above all the simple plan of salvation. Lord, it just uh, a simple amount of, uh, uh, or simple, uh, um, simple offering, Lord, to us of, of, of salvation through you, and, and just a simple uh, um, concept for people to understand that sometimes people just cloud it up. And Lord, I just pray that we would not do that, that we wouldn't add to your salvation plan, that we would just simply stick with what you give us according to your word, that we would have a desire, Lord, to please you and honor you, understanding that we were saved unto good works, not by them, but unto, that we're supposed to be doing things that please, honor, and glorify you every single moment of every single day. I thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. I pray you just take them home safely and uh, bring us back on Friday for the Bible studies for the men here and the ladies at our house. The Lord, it would be a time that would be pleasing and honoring unto you. It would be a time, Lord, where we'd grow and we'd uh, fellowship together. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.